0: Let's say the media elite, the policy elite, of which I would count you, David.
1: Yeah. That's fine. The
0: policy elite.
1: Yep.
0: Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. I'm back at the mic, Yaiłoszski here, and David Clement is joining me once again here on Saga 960 AM and the Big Talker Network. David is back. He's a little tanned, a little rested and uh, wearing his baseball cap. David, how goes uh, it's it? It's
1: going well. It's going well. How are things with you? You're getting, you're, uh, getting all ready for a big trip. You're flying across the ocean uh, to the New World, uh, as, as they would indeed, call it.
0: Uh, indeed, going to the New World, going to Washington, D.C. Uh, for a few days. Had to get my COVID test, which apparently the United States still requires in order to enter. And uh, we'll have to be wearing my mask the entire flight, which I know, David, you've had to deal with here recently. Not the most fun thing, but it'll be cool to be back in the U.S. for a while and uh, to go to Target.
1: Yeah, yeah. Target, Target, maybe a little Trader Joe's in there?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's a Trader Joe's in the area. It's not top of my list. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, we have, we have plenty of... Uh, <laughs> we we have plenty of the little spices that we normally devour. Uh so I think we'll, we'll be okay for now and and we'll probably have a trip uh later in August or you know July or something. Uh we're we're getting it together and uh hopefully going to have a a reunion uh with you and uh and the fam. We'll see when uh, when all the timing comes down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, the new world will welcome you with open arms. Um yeah, the mask things on planes, it, I don't know, how, how long do you think this is going to last for? I feel like it's got to be over soon.
0: Well, that's, yeah, and that's the Austrian rule, and the Austrians are actually getting rid of the mask mandate come next week. Oh, nice. Uh, so we still have to wear it in the supermarket, still got to wear it in the pharmacy, still got to wear it on public transport, uh, whatever, uh, but they have suspended the vax mandate. Okay. They made sure to tell us that, that they've suspended the vax mandate. So it was a strange kind of thing to where you were required to get the two shots plus your booster. And then within about a week of having it, all the cases were down. No one's in the hospital. And they're like, well, we're not really going to enforce it, but it's still on the books. Yep. Yeah. Ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least it's we're finally getting
0: to the end it's a strange world out there. I hope so, but well, uh we do got to look out speaking, for uh of uh I hope you're not going to bring up uh monkeypox.
1: No, I wasn't going to bring up monkeypox. We'll have to save that Good. for another show and see how this goes. <laughs> but uh no, the 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 World Economic Forum is happening um and the crazies are coming out. They're freaking out and one of, our pre- one of our previous guests is dipping his toes into this craziness and it's just very depressing to see people get consumed by this idea that like klaus schwab is the puppet master controlling all the strings um just very frustrating anyone who follows the conservative leadership race i mean this just leaves me scratching my head where i'm like oh boy I don't think they realize how silly this sounds. Um, so you're I, already,
0: you're already tuning us up for some Canadian news.
1: Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. Give me a break. They can't have news. Nothing happens in Canada. <laughs>
0: yeah. So this went out a little bit on social media, and uh, you know, for for everyone who's in the know, Pierre Poilievre, uh Conservative uh, leadership candidate there in Canada and what I found most interesting David is that this is not just you know some passing comment on Twitter. This was a packaged uh, piece of, of campaign rhetoric that went out on all channels Instagram Twitter yeah. Facebook it went everywhere.
1: Yeah, and he basically said he would ban government ministers from participating in the World
0: Economic Forum. And that's a tr- It's a Trump uh, Trump esque move actually.
1: Yeah, and I don't like those comparisons, but yeah, this one fits the bill. Um, I mean, just so stupid. I mean, he, I don't know, he either believes this nonsense or there's some strategic play here uh, where he's trying to get Leslie Lewis's second votes. Because I don't think that she can win, but you'll have a lot of people who vote for her. And if he can get her second votes, maybe that's his path to victory. But we see this every time. In every leadership race, and it, it happens in the primaries, too, in the U.S., it's on both sides of the border, where there's kind of like, okay, well, thinking purely strategically, what type of crazy nonsense do I have to do to get me just over the line, and then I'll deal with trying to walk all this back in a general election after I've won the nomination, and it's like, well, you know, you're going to have to spend a lot of time walking this back. Um, and it's like, I don't know. The future is not just happening. The future is built by us. By a powerful community as you here
2: in this room. Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, and I, look, I think I understand where you are coming from. I'm going to go to, I'm going to play a little bit of defense here. Devil's sure.
1: Advocate. Ooh, let's hear it.
0: I think for people in the know, for the, let's say the media elite, the policy elite, of which I would count you, David.
1: Yeah, that's
0: fine. Policy elite. Yep. uh, They know what the World Economic Forum is. They understand it's a big hobnob of elites and it's just a conference and it's in a nice place and they get to, you know, reimburse their expenses. Mm -hmm. We've been there. We've recorded this program there in the mountains, in Closters. I think, though, when you're you're trying to reach out to the average Canadian who probably doesn't know much about it, they just know that there is an elite meeting that's happening in the mountains far away, where all of the Canadian politicians are uh, the, you know, elites of business and finance, and there's something that's happening that's a bit shady, sounds anti-democratic. They're not going to look into it much more or they might. Regardless, I think he is not aiming for the elite. He's not... Look, the people who like Polyev are going to vote for him or not, or they'll, you know, put him on the preference. But I think this does reach out to just the ordinary Canadian who's probably sick of the pandemic and everything that happened, and wants a relief. Should it be his opening mantra? No. Should it be his policy that he sets? No, and, you know, maybe he'll, if he ever is elected, maybe, sure, he'll put that down day one. Uh, but what if they invite him to be the star speaker because he brought down Canada's debt, you know, or something like that? you well, tell telling me he wouldn't go?
1: I don't know, and this is the thing, and you're right. But you're right about some people maybe believing that this is more than it is. But the question is, why play to that? You can speak to those people without dipping your toes into the... Looney bin. Um, and I mean, and that's part of the reason why he had so much appeal to begin with was his consistency talking about inflation, how things were getting more expensive, how that was squeezing people out of the economy. This is, this is like the crazy version of that. And it's like, well, why are you doing this? Like, do you actually believe that? I mean, the chair of his campaign is associated with the World Economic Forum, John Baird. It's like, so your campaign chair is a bad guy? Like, what? I, th- this is the thing. It's just like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'd give him the benefit of the doubt that I don't think he actually thinks that this has that much impact. Uh, but then it's just strategic. And it's like, how depressing is it that this is where we need to go? to try and get over the finish line is just nonsense. I don't know.
0: And I, I guess... Yeah, we're... but I, I think it'd be interesting, though, because you'll have the you know the people who aren't in the actual race. You know, they can call it... You can say, it's crazy. How's he doing this? But then, to be the conservative politician who does come out and say, hey, I'm actually going to defend these guys, you know, perhaps that could play into... You know, a, a particular part of that electorate. I don't know. Well, I'm not saying he
1: has to defend the world economic... No, no, no,
0: not him, not him, but someone else. Let, let's say Charest comes out. You know, because let's let's be honest, it would probably be him. Yeah, uh, he'd come out and be like, "Hey, this is actually a good group of guys." You know, I've been there a couple of times. uh, had some fun times uh, in Les Montagnes, and <laughs> uh, I was able to enjoy with my family. You know, blah blah. blah. Then he'd have to be. Then he. Then all all you got to do is put Elite on the posters and put him, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Definitely Yeah, but not, then again, you know, yeah, I agree with you. I think he maybe he's just putting it out in the ether. You know, it's not going to be on every stump speech. Uh, I would actually be very surprised if he mentions it again unless asked. Yeah. However, he's put it out there, so you're not wrong there.
1: Yeah, I don't know. We'll see where this goes. This is just incredible. Well, speaking of loons, give me a break.
2: (laughs) No, I'm kidding. She stands up in the back of the courtroom with her baby and she says, Johnny, I love you. Our souls are connected. And he kind of turned and waved as he does sometimes. And um, everybody waved, and you saw one of the deputies come toward her and she held up the baby and she said, This baby is yours. And everybody was like, Oh, whoa, okay. And the deputy's like, You're out of here. (laughs)
1: <laughs> is this the
0: Johnny Depp trial? Of course it is.
1: Oh boy. I, talk about I, saw, another... I just saw this
0: clip. I saw this clip and I saw the woman, uh, which, forgive me, but Johnny Depp is, let's just say it's it's zero possibility that happened. But I just saw, I, uh, I think it was on Twitter and some of the papers. Uh, covering this lady like very seriously. It's like, bro, there's a lot of loons out there. Yeah. And everyone's going to try to get their 15 minutes, particularly this trial. And apparently, if you look at the YouTube numbers and if you look at all of the different media outlets, particularly the Daily Wire, more the conservative outlet, yeah. they are running this nonstop. Oh, because, yeah. Because, look, we have a vacuum. There's no Trump. There's no election. you got to run something to keep the people distracted. Monkeypox ain't taking off like it should. <laughs> Well, and it's, it's amber heard in the bed
1: it, it's also a it's also a different narrative like it, it so very serious accusations none of which were criminally pursued um they were just basically stated publicly against Johnny Depp he's saying that that didn't happen and he's trying to defend his reputation and he claims he has some reputational damage so it isn't your traditional case of what we've seen in in it wouldn't it's not sexual assault so it wouldn't be me too but in that realm this is this is almost like the inverse of someone saying no i didn't do these bad things and defending themselves and that seems to have got the internet hyper interested plus some of the sensational stuff like the poop in the bed (laughs) and the ACLU yeah. getting involved, and you're like, well, "What? Well, what yes, do they have to do with this?" Is, it's like well, this is all very at least strange.
0: that's one of that is one of the political points uh, that you can take out of this, which would be relevant, is the ACLU essentially really looking for a donation from her, and then they make her, you know, this uh, ambassador of spousal abuse or whatever it is, and then. <laughs> And basically when it's all over, she's like, yeah, by the way, you're not getting that money. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I'll, there's there's a whole episode and I'm sure people are working on different, like a whole podcast on the disintegration of the ACLU. And there's a great article in the Atlantic, uh, I think last week by a former ACLU attorney. Uh, there's a lot of people coming out of the woodwork being like, look, ACLU is leading people astray. There's a lot of donations that have gone there from some people who are leading them in, into a direction to talk more about gender identity than to talk about First Amendment issues or other issues. And it's very worrying. And I would agree because they're not a neutral arbiter and not necessarily the civil rights group, you know, that you can count on in every situation anymore.
1: Well, it's and done. that and that happened with their their— social media posts about Roe v. Wade and saying it disproportionately impacts the LGBTQ community and there were a bunch of gay men on Twitter who are like We are allies and we support a woman's right to choose, but this doesn't impact us at all, guys. <laughs> like this this is not this it's is not gay, our like this isn't Yeah, this is not our thing. Like this is about a woman's right to choose. When did we forget that? Um yeah, just yeah, like when it
0: becomes uh, advantageous politically, I guess. That's uh, kind of the way it it shakes out. Well, it's so just the stuff.
1: dangers of mission creep in the nonprofit world, which could be a whole show.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yet another episode. <laughs> All right, we'll get that together. All right, David, uh, coming up here on the program, we've got Matthew Mazinskis of Crypto Voices, uh, one podcast. He's a. An American fellow who's been living in uh, Riga, Latvia for many years, gives us some insight on the global energy markets, uh, global monetary markets, a little bit about Bitcoin and crypto and the situation in Ukraine and essentially why liberal democracies should be stepping up for Ukraine. Uh, Great talk with Matthew. You guys can listen to that coming up. Until then. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America on Saga 960 AM and on the Big Talker Network. Yaya Lasoski here flying solo uh, while our colleague David Clement is uh, apparently at some cabin in Northern Ontario, having a great time and enjoying a little bit of the early spring weather. Uh, but we're going to have a good convo here. We're speaking with Matthew Mazinskis, he is the host of Crypto Voices, a podcast on economics and money. He's a man who knows finance, he knows spreadsheets, uh, he knows a little bit about the global monetary base. So, uh, Matthew, thanks so much for coming on Consumer Choice Radio.
2: Yeah, my friend. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here and chat a little bit of Bitcoin, a little bit of Ukraine, a little bit of free markets with you.
0: I love this because, um, you know, obviously we met some years ago and, you know, I've been following you on Twitter, seeing a little bit what you were writing about, seeing some of your programs, um, listening to the interviews that you were conducting and started realizing that a lot of us was, was just coming together. And, uh, you know, you, you are uh, brandishing the American eagle in Europe, much like I am. Uh, we are um, a, a small group of innocents abroad, but I think we, we do an okay job. Um, I guess we can start with that a little bit, because uh, you're someone who has keenly followed everything that's happened in Ukraine. We've had a number of interviews on our program about it. Um, same for you uh what's it been like you know seeing the situation and then the second part of that is what's it like seeing our fellow Americans uh discussing the topics of Ukraine and Russia and and seemingly having a more cartoonish uh version of that uh, conversation
2: yeah yeah i think well based on you know the uh location of your uh shows being broadcast i think maybe start with that that second part of that question uh know, a lot of people have heard a lot about Ukraine, maybe people have already tuned out uh, specifically in the United States. But I think if you know, you're talking about consumer choice and libertarians and classical liberals, which I imagine there's a lot of big, you know, contingency in your listener base. uh, Often, I find that Americans uh, just have a completely different worldview than European libertarians, classical liberals. And there's obvious reasons for that, you know, geography, first and foremost. so that's that's just always a battle. I think that we're going to have to face when we're talking about you know our ideal society that may be uh, completely in theory or might happen when we're all rich and have private insurance and private security and good money and you know very low cost energy. Thousand years from now, hundred years from now, who knows? Um, and then what's on the ground and what's happening in twenty twenty two? So uh, two completely different things. I think, I think, you know, if you're a Texas libertarian, you might be living well, unless it's like in the winter, sometimes when you have like your, your grid go down from a couple inches of snow. But uh, other than that, I think Texas libertarians are uh, a little bit different. Uh, that's just the example I use, uh, the the Twitter, the Twitter scene, you know, of, of someone who just, doesn't want to hear anything about what's happening in Ukraine or why they should help or need to help or why the United States government might need to help or what's the proper role of national events, all the rest. So um, that's sort of my general take uh, to your second point. And, you know, as for the first point about um, just what's happening there. Yeah. I mean, just a quick background on myself. I'm, you know, American Latvian. I've been in the Baltic States here in Eastern Europe for about 16 years Um, you know, it's part of my family upbringing, the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, rioting, not not rioting, protesting during the late eighties, early nineties, when I didn't know anything about it, was quite young, but still was going to these rallies, uh, just sort of the story of my life. Nobody in my school had any idea what Latvia was, uh, when I was telling them about it when I was young, nor do they even now. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's just kind of the story of my life, and and it's it's pretty unnerving for all of us. And it was since 2014 to be sure for all of us here in Eastern Europe, um, Eastern and Central Europe, and certainly other parts of Europe, um, to see what has happened to the people of Ukraine, to see this Russian aggression, full out war uh, that has happened uh, since February 24th. And so, we're just doing everything we can to prevent it to donate to spread uh correct info about it and to you know just try to stop this completely unlawful and just awful awful war that the kleptocratic kremlin is is putting on so uh yeah i don't know it's i could go on and on and on but maybe i'll stop there
0: i I think for what i've found the most troubling in all of this and you know i'm not necessarily a uh Uh, revisionists of the Austrian empire or anything like this uh, living here in Vienna. But I think for most people are just not making the connection that, you know, these are real people's lives that are being impacted that, you know, they will have no more home, their home will be bombarded, you know, their, their streets where they used to walk their dogs or, you know, play with their kids uh, will be flattened, will be charred. And I think there's just not that much of a connection. I think everyone has this knee jerk, you know, about the global war on terror and Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and these are countries that most people had never been to nor heard of. Uh, but we're talking about, you know, Ukraine and at least for Austrians, you know, there's a part of that that used to be in the empire, you know, that they, they used to be come down here to the parliament and engage. And it was part of the empire. And uh, you had the, the cultural exchange and the language exchange. And then to see the images today of tanks rolling in of bombs and, and, entire villages being leveled, um, at least as someone who tries to participate in the American system, you know, tries to have some influence there. It's just been, it's been very daunting. And I can understand that Americans are far from everything, but, you know, we've built a global empire. Uh, You might not like it, but we already do have troops uh, all throughout the NATO countries and have them all over the world. And to see how the debate has kind of carried on, uh, you can see that a lot of people are just not very well informed and, as you stated, don't really uh, know much, uh, much less about Ukraine than you know, Latvia or anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I'm hoping that, you know, seeing a lot more of this, people will understand that, you know, there actually is a need to have uh, some kind of, of help, whether it's organized privately uh, or publicly. And I know that privately there's so many things going on and, and really helping a lot of people out in Ukraine.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I would just encourage every listener, like this fight is far from over. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, even if they succeed in getting the Russians to retreat, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, there's going to be a massive hangover. Ukrainians are going to be angry, you know, at the world for being slow to come to their defense. And then when they finally did, you know, uh, just still have all of these, uh, just crazy geopolitical debates that they're going to have to deal with. Whereas the real picture, like you said, is basic human rights, sovereignty, their liberty, their freedom. And we need to support them all we can. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be like the the new challenge for Europe, for sure. Um, every, you know, lines are literally being re- redrawn. I mean, uh, the geopolitical structure of the world is being rethought and it's going to have implications for China. Uh, it's going to have lots and lots of implications in the future. So yeah, it's just a huge, huge deal. And one more just quick uh, piece there, which I think you see uh, back to the libertarian sort of debate or classical liberal debate, and you have this from, I'd say, just general uh, Republican versus Democrat, or how, how should we sort of view this whole situation in Ukraine? One of the typical bugaboo sort of easy uh, let's not get involved type of narratives when the war started let's not forget which was not too long ago and even up until now was well the west just forced this on russia because uh places where i am former soviet union three baltic states which were never, their occupation by the Soviet Union was never recognized by the United States, the United Nations, or many, many other countries in the world uh, since 1945. And uh, th- they said, oh, well, we just pushed, uh, we pushed the uh, the Russians into this situation because they had to think about their own security uh, apparatus. And, you know, from the Baltics entering NATO, which by the way was in 2004, it was a long time ago. Like, you know, there can be lower level in- infantry men and women that are starting now to serve in the NATO Army that were you know, not even born, a twinkle in their father's eye uh, in 2004. It's a long time. It's not like we've just been, you know, this is something that was a surprise to Putin. So there's just so many things to, to talk about there. But lo and behold, uh, now come May, this, this perennial discussion of uh, Baltic, uh, Baltic security between uh, Sweden and Finland, the two neutral countries, now they are getting ready. And as far as I can tell, unless things are blocked by the Turks and uh, in, in, by, by, the, by Turkey in, the, in sort of the near future, I'm pretty sure they're going to, to be in NATO. And that's a, you know, that's a major shift for both countries. Uh, you know, we don't have to go into that history, but 200 year policy shift for Sweden, Finland, you know, with the Winter War and everything. I mean that's a major, major shift. And of course, we can joke about Vladimir Putin's, uh, you know, master strategy of trying to protect the Russians. And here we go, uh, Finland and Sweden about to join NATO. But where's the uh, where's the ruckus about that? Like, oh, they the Kremlin tries to say like, oh, well, actually, we don't really care that much. You know, don't bring too many missiles in there, but we don't actually care that they're joining NATO. And so you can see this just doltish debate about nato expansion aggressive nato expansion that americans were trying to entertain because they had nothing they had no other concept of the area the history of the people or the culture it was a complete red herring it's a complete it's just a complete red herring uh finland and sweden you know f- finland shares you know fa- thousands of kilometers of border with russia much more of an expansion uh with them joining nato than ukraine and so you know it's such a big deal it's such a big deal that you know the west was expanding that's that's just the narrative has just completely fallen flat on its face and uh we can see that really what it all came down to was Putin's just megalomaniacal views of the slavic people and he did not like since the color revolutions of 2004 uh when you know ukraine started to move towards the west and of course in 2014 he just did not like that and he couldn't handle it and he's a maniacal dictator and he's just showing his true colors. so it's never about nato expansion it was just about a crazy crazy small man's dreams
0: well speaking of that uh i think i have the perfect transition clip uh thanks to our friend bill maher putin
2: is bad very 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 bad
1: but he's still better than the guy who brings every conversation around to bitcoin
0: and that's (laughs) going to be us today ladies and gentlemen
2: (laughs) (laughs) i love that quote yes very Uh, true so
0: so uh Matthew, your podcast is Crypto Voices. Um, you know, you've been doing this for many years now. You've been analyzing uh, the different macroeconomic trends and also the technology side of, uh, of Bitcoin, uh, everything else. I mentioned uh, before we started recording uh, something about Podcasting 2.0, and I uh, wanted to know if you'd entertain a you know a little 30-second pitch here, if that's cool. Yes. Please. All right. So Consumer Choice Radio, we are Podcasting 2.0 compliant Uh, What that means is that you download a modern podcast app uh, that includes Fountain or Breeze. And in these podcast apps, you actually do have a lightning Bitcoin wallet where you can receive Satoshis. And while you're listening to a program, you can send messages or you can send boosts, uh, to the program that you're listening to. Uh, You can also set a listening level. So you can send, you know, whatever, 60 sats per minute, uh, you can do a boost one time of a couple of thousand uh it's it's a great uh, open source uh, you know new interface for how how bitcoin is kind of changing things and for podcasting uh would be great uh for your program as well and it'd be a great way for for you to get a, a nice little bitcoin node uh, lit up with some sats could be kind of interesting
2: yeah yeah absolutely man streaming sats i'm uh it's shameful that i haven't gotten around to that on the show but uh we'll uh you know we have like on twitter I got you know, the lightning, uh, lightning addresses and whatnot, but yeah, doing, doing, uh, podcasting 2.0 is probably necessary, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, a different focus as of late for the show. I've been doing a little bit more research into, um, into a lot of economic stuff probably will start streaming soon on, on YouTube, uh, in case any listeners are curious, uh, talking a little bit more, less about, Maybe, maybe Bitcoin only or Bitcoin proper and, and just talking about uh, sort of general economic stuff, geopolitical stuff, some of the things we were just speaking about with Ukraine. Uh, and then of course always in the background how Bitcoin can uh, can help there. So So yeah, that's just a little bit about what what I've been doing lately.
0: So I, I know you're aware of uh, the Bitcoin Twitter world, and I know there there's you know sort of an ongoing rhetorical battle about uh, crypto versus Bitcoin. Uh, You know, as an organization, you know it is something that we do lobby on. Uh, We don't necessarily make a distinction because I don't think politicians know much of the of the difference anyway. Uh, But you know, that is something that a lot of people are very passionate about, and I understand it. And we all might be, you know, maxies in our basements with our miners and our nodes. Uh, But when we're dealing with policy, it's a bit different. Uh, I was just sort of wondering, you know, was there a time when you were more interested also in altcoins? Are you still interested in them? Or are you focused solely you know with laser eyes on on Bitcoin and the innovations that are happening there as an alternative uh, to our current monetary system?
2: Well, most of my interest is in Bitcoin uh, specifically as it relates to the alternative to the current monetary system, as you said. So it's a, it's more more heavily focused on the economic aspect, on how it relates to you know uh, the, the actual central bank printing, uh, the monetary base, gold, silver, so on and so forth. Uh, Bitcoin is just the the big elephant in the room there that uh, completely is economically analogous with those types of instruments. A lot of other altcoins, even Ethereum, the second largest, has different features that don't necessarily give it those base money qualities. We can talk about that. So from that side, it's, it's only Bitcoin. But from the other side, you know, yeah, there's this whole debate for a long time about Bitcoin maximalists. Um, I don't really know how I would define uh, myself. But I I think a lot of libertarians, they're not necessarily Bitcoin maximalists, they're open to anything that can come and help the freedom of the individual. If they can, ex- if that can, you know, expand and widen their, uh, their, you know, their, their own lives, then like, go for it. So I kind of like that view. But on the other hand, you know, it's kind of like Nassim Taleb's, like, don't, don't uh, tell me, show me, show me your portfolio. Uh, for sure, Bitcoin is is uh, pretty much <laughs> yeah majority <laughs> th- there, so it's really not. Yeah, yeah I, I don't I don't have any affinity toward any particular altcoin.
0: Yeah, and I think so many of these projects, um, you know, we've been introduced to them uh, through just a lot of of great entrepreneurial people, you know, who are definitely trying to change things and shake things up and. Uh, sure. you know everyone sees bitcoin a bit uh, sometimes as boring and i've I heard your Bitcoin story I think on on one other show that you were on and I think is very much the same for for many of us we got really excited in the beginning and then you got all these other things that are flashing by and things are crazy and then uh, usually it seems like the natural life arc is to kind of come back to the to the boring bitcoin stuff uh, especially yeah. once we've seen the innovations and you know the lightning part that I was mentioning with podcasting 2.0 uh, you know seeing the ability to use that when I get my haircut, for instance, or, you know, tonight I'm going to the big meetup uh, in Vienna of the Bitcoiners and, and buying beer with Lightning and uh, trying to run a node and do liquidity. And uh, I realize that there's so much that that is happening there that I think most people just don't know because they, they just focus on the line go up. And uh, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, the line hadn't been going up at all. Uh, do you have any thoughts on on sort of the uh, Terra USD stablecoin, uh, some of the the broader moves in the crypto market? Is this something that uh, you, as a sort of macroeconomic analyst, uh, sees as as perhaps a, a good thing because it's a little bit of consolidation, or is this the big players moving in? You know, how do you read that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, my own personal philosophy is kind of long term, very much how like a gold or silver investor might look at it. Um that's, that is how I look at the Bitcoin market. Um, those that want to play and speculate and short and use a lot of futures and leverage, um, obviously free to do so, free to do so with crazy altcoins, which uh, as we've seen, Terra has proven, uh, Luna has proven to be. Um, for those that don't know, is basically a, a Ponzi scheme wrapped around another Ponzi scheme. <laughs> There's a component of it, which was called Anchor, and they were just offering crazy interest rates on, uh, on TUSD, which is you know, stablecoin to the dollar. And then people were taking uh, those staked... Uh, uh, well, they were taking the, uh, the, the asset that was backing those, uh, those loans and then reinvesting that into more. Uh, more of the CUSD, and, and likewise, uh, again and again. And so it eventually all collapsed. And there was, uh, yeah, quite a big uh, blow up in the markets, like really massive. I mean, I saw a tweet. I think it was Enron was something like 60 billion in market cap. And uh, Luna might have been 40. Uh, so anyway, I, numbers aren't too important at that level, because now they're all zero but um, it was massive, massive uh, boom and bust uh, based on speculation and a Ponzi scheme. And yeah, so it gives a lot of fuel to the fire for regulators, which is unfortunate, and people that don't understand the market, which is unfortunate. But these things, as I look at them, are really just a dime a dozen. I mean, they're going to come again and again and again. You got to have your eye on the prize, which is, in my view, just living a good life, having a stable currency that you can uh, rely on, yes, it's going to be volatile because we're only 11, 12 years into this process, 13 years into this process actually. So um, it's you know it's it's something to keep an eye on. a lot of the market volatility and how things move I definitely think it's going to be pretty weak over the next uh, the next six to 12 months doesn't look very strong at all the way that markets are, reacting to this event. Um, But, you know, our lower, we typically see lower lows, or uh, excuse me, higher lows and higher highs in Bitcoin. So we might be moving to one of these low periods. We certainly are in the the short, short term in a low, but, you know, $30,000 Bitcoin is still, you know, that's 30, that's uh, three times more than it was two years ago. So, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to be, too bearish when, if you just extend your horizon from 10 minutes to, you know, to 10 months, you know, things look okay. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it, but again, it, it's all about the perspective that you take when it comes to sort of what Bitcoin is and what it's trying to do.
0: And we've, uh, we've seen in probably the last two years, more of a focus and, and actually a, a sort of mainstreaming of the idea of nation states, Embracing uh, cryptocurrencies, but specifically Bitcoin, and we saw that in El Salvador, uh, where it is now a legal tender. Uh, apparently, you've heard the same in the, the Central African Republic and yeah. uh, some some Portuguese islands and the like. Uh, you know, as someone who follows, uh, you know, not just global economic trends but geopolitics. Uh, so, what do you make of the situation in El Salvador and some of these other countries? And I say this in the context of. I don't even know the name of it, but I know that uh, Bukele has brought together uh, something like 44 finance ministers and central bank governors in El Salvador to, I guess, to orange pill and talk Bitcoin (laughs) to them. Uh, So they're meeting at this moment. Uh, Who knows what's coming from that? Uh, But what do you think about nation state adoption? And is that something that we should care about? Do you think it's hopeful or, or do you think it might actually lead to more problems?
2: I think it could lead to more problems in the short term. Uh, I am not one of these Bitcoiners who gets so excited about every single piece of Bitcoin news, least of all when it comes to a central bank, uh, you know, reserving Bitcoin, which as my old co-host Fernando used to say, it's like, uh, it's like the virgin prostitute or something. And I don't know, When a central bank is holding, uh, you know, holding a lot of gold or holding a lot of Bitcoin. It's just, it's just quite uh, the anathema to what they're actually doing now, which is just printing uh, their own sovereign currency, which is backed by nothing else other than a state monopoly, so bitcoin yeah, it might bring in some uh, some new people to the market, but bitcoin doesn't it it doesn't care the protocol itself doesn't care who is using it uh, who transacts with it um, so if we start to cheerlead something like you know, a few central banks taking it on, and then other central banks taking it on. We might start to think that, oh, that's actually how it should be. It should be run by a central bank and held by a central bank. And lo and behold, we're in the exact same situation, which happened uh, to gold and silver. First silver, then gold, uh, which is not really a favorable position to be in. I mean, uh, gold has basically failed as a as a uh, generally accepted store of value and medium of exchange over the last 100 years i mean 100 years ago it would have not been a crazy thing to talk about like holding gold or taking gold across the border or whatever uh now no one even cares to do that it's it's certainly dangerous to do that it's hard to do that it's expensive to do that with gold and silver always was but there was that was accepted that that's what you would do if you were moving or whatever with bitcoin it's super easy to transport your wealth it's super safe uh, you know, in these war-torn areas, if you got to get across a border, you could get across with you know a seed memorized in your head. No one can know that you're taking the Bitcoin across the border. It's really, really important uh, monetary media that way. Um, if we start thinking that like Bitcoin needs to be held by central banks, it's just the wrong it's the wrong line of thought uh, to me. And and I, and I just think this is a well. Let me let me correct that. I I I do think that that could happen in the short term is many people are going to be excited about that there's going to be more countries that may maybe even you know discriminated against quote discriminate against as bukele says about you know, the dollar like they've never been helping us anyway they're a dollarized nation that you know using the dollar hasn't helped el salvador so he's you know he's saying we got to move to bitcoin i understand these sort of statements but if we start to think that that's like the reason that uh, other central banks should uh, hold bitcoin it's it's definitely going to help their citizens and whatnot i mean i don't know think again because you know there are a lot of these regimes aren't really the uh, least corrupt out there they have their own issues and bitcoin is just going to get wrapped up into that and then there's going to be more regulations in the bigger countries and it's just yeah i'm not i what i wanted to to finish this put a bow on this is that i think it's going to Get worse before it gets better in that arena as well, because I think you're gonna have a lot of geopolitical, you know, uh, arguments about that. You're gonna have a lot of political arguments about that. People aren't gonna understand it. It's gonna be regulated. It's not gonna be. It's held in a safe way for for legislatures. I know there's new legislation coming up with Senator Loomis, Loomis who is. Very favorable towards Bitcoin uh, very soon, this week or next week in the US. New legislation coming out. I'm sure, you know, it's gonna be a very exciting read to read that. But anyway, like I don't, yeah, I don't think that those things are are great for mankind and they're not gonna be great for the future of Bitcoin. So it's it's gonna be a slog to get through that. But again, you know, a hundred years from now, uh when we're Transferring this wealth onto our heirs to our grandchildren, uh, I really do think that bitcoin is going to be a world changing technology um but it's gonna it's gonna take a while to get there
0: wow i, I think i I definitely echo uh, you know your sentiments you know we do not spend all this time uh critiquing the machineries of government and their financial tools only to have them uh take the technology that uh you know we've we've developed at the private market and use you know to their to their own devices, uh, so I, I do think that you know your cautionary uh, sort of example is uh, is a good way to look at it. And uh, you know, when we have all of this stuff that's happening, it's better to have innovation coming from private actors and you know people who are yeah. out actually providing value instead of of governments and imposing that. Uh, so I, I definitely agree there. I think that's a very strong point. I you know there's been far too much cheerleading, uh, particularly when it comes to a lot of uh, what's happening in many of these Central American countries, uh, yeah, it's kind of strong-arm politics. It's uh, not really uh, the most, you know, liberal of democracies in the world. And I, I want to end on that uh, with at least a, a question about. I don't like the term "the West," uh, but liberal democracies. And for citizens of liberal democracies, and those of us who live here, who work here, uh, you know, what do you see as a, a sort of positive outlook? Whether it be with um, the future of our our alliances, or perhaps Growing acceptance of Bitcoin amongst private people. Uh, there's got to be just a just a wink of uh, some hope there in your in your mic.
2: Sure, sure. Well, Bitcoin always. You know, we saw last year for the 18th time China banned Bitcoin and all the crypto and mining and everything. Uh, they're not going to be able to do it long term. They're going to try. They're not going to be able to stop it. Uh, it's Just a matter of time, you know. I don't want to sound like I'm as prescient as Ludwig von Mises predicting the end of the Soviet Union in 19, the 1920s. Uh, you know, He didn't know either when it would end, but it took 70 years. Who knows how long it's going to take for China? They're not going to be able to stop uh, the power of this technology. So that's important. And I do think it's good that the West or the liberal, liberal democracies are embracing it generally. That is good. Um, as far as uh, Ukraine, I think that's also a huge... Huge uh, game changer for just the way that we're looking at security. Again, from from liberal democracies here, mostly in Europe and the United States. Uh, I'm not saying that it's all going to be positive. I'm not saying it's all going to be, you know, safe or easy. But we've been saying for years and years over here that. Uh, You know, you just can't get away with doing business like Russia does business, you know, murdering people, killing journalists, uh, you know, Novichok poisoning on British soil. These type of things are really, really uh, medieval and barbaric and they need to, you know, you you can stand up to these things without being a totalitarian government yourself. You can be a liberal democracy, a a liberal uh, free loving people that wants to stop these types of things and this type of tyranny and i think it's a refresher for a lot in the west a lot of people in the western world and i'm very happy for for that
0: all right well thank you so much matthew been speaking with matthew mazinska's host of crypto voices uh also on twitter uh crypto underscore voices uh amazing conversation matthew thanks so much for talking to us on consumer choice radio
2: my pleasure Thanks, you thank you